0: The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. Brethren, we turn in the Word of God to Proverbs chapter 18 and to verse 13, which is my text this morning. Proverbs 18 and verse 13, the Word of God. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it. It is folly and shame unto him. Thus far the reading in God's word. And as we remain standing, let us pray. O Lord, the God of heaven, who is the eternal one, who is high and lifted up, inhabiting eternity. And the one that angels worship, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We draw nigh unto thee, even by that new and living way that Christ hath consecrated for us through the veil. As those, O God, as we trust who have been brought unto the foot of the cross of Christ, the place where faith begins, to say with the centurion, Surely this man was the Son of God. We have been given, O God, to hear of the mysteries of the gospel, and they have brought us into the presence of the living God, and we ask then that thou would give thy spirit by and with the preaching of the word. We ask, O God, that the secrets of our hearts may be opened in thy presence, the presence of the God with whom we have to do, and we ask, O God, that The remedies of the gospel may be applied unto all our bruises and our sore wounds. We ask thee, our Father, to bless this place of study and preparation for the holy ministry. We ask thee, O God, to give much wisdom to the teachers in this place. And we ask that thou would give hunger uh, for the word of God here amongst these young men who have come unto this place. We ask, O God, that these would be years of much profit and preparation and laying up of a store for that which is to come. We pray, O God, that through the labors of this place, that thy word would sound forth mightily unto the conversion of many sinners, the advancement of thy kingdom, and even the nations of the earth remembering and turning unto the Lord. We pray, O God, that thou would uh, be present uh, by thy spirit in the seminary community in a time of grief. We pray, O God, having heard in thy word that it is better to be in the house of mourning than to be in the house of mirth, for this is the end of all living, and the wise will lay it to heart. We ask, O God, that thou would give Grace unto future preachers and to us who are ministers, ever to remember to preach as dying men to dying men. We ask, O oh God, much comfort to Mr. Curdo in the loss of his lifelong help me. We pray that he might find Christ sufficient for him. We ask thee, O oh God, to enable him. Uh, even in sorrow, to render a testimony that might edify others and glorify thy name. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. As we're seated together then, this text has been read in your hearing, that he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, It is folly and shame unto him. I've chosen uh, that text this morning, which is not difficult to understand, but which is very difficult to apply. There are some questions of the interpretation of the verse. So, for instance, the margin of the authorized version says, and rightly so, that we can translate this, he that returneth a word before he heareth, it is folly and shame unto him, the question being whether it is the matter answered unto or the word given in response to the matter. Well, there are these questions legitimately of interpretation, but most of our work today needs to be in terms of the application of the word of God. And we can grasp quite easily the thrust of Uh, God's intent for us if we think of a race you've perhaps seen the sprinter um, ready at the starting blocks and the uh, starting gun about to sound and in nervous anticipation one of the sprinters leaves the blocks before the gun is sounded he has jumped the gun and uh, truth be told many times our tongues are like this sprinter that leaves the blocks before the gun has sounded Answering back before we have heard, or if we change the analogy to uh, the racing of a horse instead of the racing of a sprinter, we know indeed uh, that the tongue of man needs both a spur and a bridle, and indeed there is a place to spur the tongue, lest we be silent when we should speak for God. But yet, if the tongue needs a spur, then much more uh, the tongue. Needs a bridle. So, in order to open the word of God to you uh, this morning, I want to tell you three things about this text. Uh, First of all, its expansive application. Secondly, its weighty pronouncement. And thirdly, its implied remedy. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. This is a proverb of expansive application. Two categories. It applies firstly to hearers of the word of God, which is all of us. And to answer back before having heard the word of God is folly and shame. We know that we must render an account to him whose word we hear. This was true of Job. When the Lord came unto Job, And first of all, silenced Job so that he laid his hand upon his mouth. And yet Job could not shrink away into silence. The Lord demanded that he gird up his loins like a man and that he answer. And this is true of each of you and of me as hearers of the word. The Lord has told us that the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature that is not manifest in his sight, for all things are naked and opened before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, him to whom we must give an account. We must answer back, we must give an account. We must give an account for how we have profited from the word of God. And for us to answer before we have heard would be the height of folly. So for instance, wandering thoughts underneath of the word of God are a preparation for a terrible account given into God. We shall have to answer. But what if we answer not having heard? He that does not hear the conviction of the word of God equally with him that does not hear the consolation of the word of God. How how dreadful to have to answer without having heard. Through Hosea, the Lord says to Israel. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquities. Take with you words and turn unto the Lord, and say, take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously, and so we will render the calves of our lips. This is the living hearer of the word of God, that you must be, that God calls you to be, a living hearer who hears the conviction of the word, which says, thou hast fallen by thine iniquities, and then open your mouth to God, and coming to him, by confession of your sins, take with you words and also bring with you words of praises. Render the calves of your lips to a merciful God who calls sinners to return unto him. This proverb applies not only to those who hear the word of God, but to those who hear the words of men. In this case too, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Think of your several relations in which you stand. We stand in some cases as superiors. A magistrate is an example of a a superior, and it's a folly and a shame unto a magistrate to answer before he hears. It's blatantly obvious in the book of Esther in regard to Ahasuerus, as his courtier Haman comes and tells him of this people who, whom he says don't keep the king's laws and they need to be destroyed. Much damage is coming to the king and he, without so much as thinking, gives over his signet ring and says that Haman can have free reign to work destruction. That was foolish and shameful to the king. It can be true of a father also, of a husband also. And it is also foolish and shameful. For a father, for a husband to be hearing something from your wife, perhaps. She has a burden. She has a problem. She's telling you about it. How foolish and shameful to be so lazy that you won't listen and really understand. An appeal is made to you by one of your children. To dismiss it without hearing it is foolish and shameful to you as a superior in your home. It's true of ministers. It's a folly and shame to a minister to answer before having heard. In his word, God tells us about Eli, the priest, and how he dealt with Hannah. She came. She was a burdened soul. She was praying. It literally tells us that he didn't hear her prayer. He saw that her lips moved. But without having heard, he reproved her. For drunkenness. How contrary to the care of the Lord, who is our shepherd, who hears our cries. How contrary to the pattern of Paul, who's so overjoyed when he hears news from the Corinthians about them having received his letter and having been brought unto godly sorrow, a minister should hear. It's true of superiors, it's also true of inferiors to an inferior it is folly and shame to answer before hearing and so here you are as students in this place and to you Elihu what a pattern he is when there in the book of Job he's clearly the superior in terms of grace to the other friends of Job but he was the inferior in terms of age he kept his mouth shut until the older men had spoken. And so that becomes you as younger men under instruction to listen first. It's true also of those relations that we have as equals. Solomon in the Proverbs, he tells us much about the benefits and sweetness of friendship. He said he speaks about the sweetness of a friend through his hearty counsel and how the sweetness of friendship is spoiled and ruined by the man that will not listen, by the man who answers before he hears, who will not invest the time to draw out that which is in the heart of his friend, who gives easy counsel, not having understood. This proverb is one of great application, indeed daily application the rest of our lives. But not only is there an expansive application of this proverb, but there is also a weighty pronouncement. I've been describing to you what it is that Solomon warns us against, but we also need to feel the weight of what he says about the man who does this that it is folly and shame unto him. Two parts of that. Wherein does the folly? lie of the man who answers before he hears. In part, it lies in his foolish pride. He who answers before he hears is declaring that he knows everything. He who answers before he hears is declaring that he already knows that the words being spoken to him are weightless and it doesn't matter for him To keep on listening to them. He who answers before he hears. As much as says. That God made ears for me. In vain. He who answers before he hears. As much as said. God made everyone else. To listen to me. The folly of this practice also consists In a foolish hastiness. He who answers before he hears declares his lack of power, not his strength. The tongue is man's glory. And an abuse of the tongue is often an attempt to seek one's own glory. However, he who answers before he hears declares how weak he is, how unable to control his tongue, how unable to bridle it, how short and small his soul is. He who answers before he hears also exhibits foolish ungodliness. This is the deepest indictment. He who answers before he hears exhibits a lack of the fear of god because men shall give an account in that day for every idle word that they have spoken he who answers before he hears to that degree says i do not know god he is not in my thoughts I am not at this time and in this action walking before him. Because to answer before you hear is to prepare yourself for a sorry account at the last day. I suppose any of us, if we use anything, even if you get in your automobile and use your automobile, well, you're careful about your use of the automobile. You can do great damage if you're not careful about your use of your car. Just so with the tongue. To use the tongue without having first heard is more dangerous than a reckless use of the automobile. Even this is true in the case of lying. No one wants to be a liar, branded as a liar. And we, don't, we wouldn't want to be branded as a pernicious liar who tells a lie intentionally to destroy There's other kinds of liars, however, besides a pernicious liar. Another kind of liar is a rash liar. There was a crisis in the life of David when God's rod had entered into the house of David. And Absalom had conceived a murderous hatred against Amnon. And he made a plot to draw Amnon aside. And he told his comrades, rise up against him and kill him which they did. Sadly so. There were some flighty-minded people who ran and came and told David that Absalom has killed all of the king's sons. They were liars. Why? Because they were not careful. They were careless liars. And they exhibited a lack of the fear of God. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly unto him. But not only that, it is shame unto him. When God fastens shame unto a man, no one can erase that shame. Until we come to the remedy that I will tell you about. But you cannot... Bury your face and escape the shame that God lays upon you if you answer without hearing. The tongue is the glory. God says, if you abuse your tongue, your glory is your shame. Wherein lies the shame of answering before one has heard? One thing is that it's contrary to the light of nature to answer before you have heard. If you have perhaps an infant in your home, you you notice it takes, well, about a year before an infant learns to speak. What does that tell us? Every member of the human race, by God's design, has to listen before they ever are even able to speak. We can think about the, you know the facts that your school teacher told you when she told you, you've got two ears and you have only one mouth you should listen before you speak it's true she was right there's not only the light of nature but there's the law of God Nicodemus was bold to say in in the Sanhedrin doth our law a condemn a man before it hear him and know what he doeth and what if God our great lawgiver and our judge what if he were to measure the same portion to you that you have measured to others when you've answered without heard? What if he were to condemn you without any appeal? It's contrary to the law of God, but it's also, it's contrary to the gospel to answer before one has heard. He that answers before he has heard is as much as saying that he is ignorant to that extent of gospel mysteries. He is saying it is as if I did not know God as a Father in heaven, as a prayer-hearing God. It is as if to say, I lack communion with God in lifting up my soul to Him and asking Him to hearken and hear. He that answers before He hears is as much as displaying His ignorance of Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, think of the beginning. Think of the end. Think of his young years, 12 years old, in the temple, sitting amongst the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions, drawing forth what they knew. Think of him in the end, in his arrest, his trial, his sufferings, his death. He was as a sheep led unto the slaughter. So he openeth not his mouth. This is contrary also to the work of the Holy Ghost, whose great work is to make men hear. Faith cometh by hearing. How, what a shameful practice, a foolish practice, and a shameful one to answer before one has heard. Contrary to nature, contrary to the law, contrary to the gospel. You should be convicted. I'm convicted. I'm concerned for you if you're not convicted by this. Now, here's the remedy. It's a privilege to tell you the remedy. An implied remedy. The Bible, of course, is a book that God has given to us not to take advantage of us and to leave us destroyed and condemned. The Bible is a book that the Lord has given to us to remedy man's problem. And while within the strict, looking strictly simply at the words in front of us, it doesn't proclaim to us what the remedy is, but this text is connected to all the other ones in the Bible, which surely tell us that there is a remedy. You see, here is what man has run after. Man plunges himself, in foolishness and shame and god a god of mercy comes to us in his word and he says turn O sinner why will ye die turn out of this way of folly and shame and i will show you the way of wisdom and honor what is the remedy The tongue is a world of iniquity. Thomas Boston said that in the world of iniquity, there are two hemispheres. There is undue silence and there is sinful speech. It seems that the second hemisphere tends to be more thickly populated, that of sinful speech. But here's the thing. We can't escape the iniquity of the tongue simply by traveling from the one hemisphere to the other because both hemispheres are sinful and men are prone to travel back and forth between the two. What we need is wisdom from above. We need a power and help that is from above this world of iniquity that is our tongue. We need the spirit of God in order to make us like that man that the Lord Jesus healed. Mark tells us about it. This man who was deaf and mute, the Lord Jesus took him outside of the village, put his fingers in his ears and said, Ephatha be opened and his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. This is what God, a God of grace in Jesus Christ, does for sinners. He opens their ears and then opens their mouths. We can think of this again in terms of the the types and shadows of Leviticus. We read read in Leviticus 14 about the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He comes To the the door of the tabernacle, the priest is to take first of all the blood of the trespass offering, and he is to place it where but upon the lobe of his right ear and the thumb of his right hand and the great toe of his right foot. And then he is to take of the oil and to put it in those same places first upon the lobe of his right ear. This signifies the whole man coming under the double remedy of the gospel. First of all, a remedy of free justification by blood. And secondly, a remedy of thorough consecration by the Holy Spirit. We need this double benefit of the gospel. Let me tell you something about that first part of God's remedy of free justification by blood. As a minister, I'm supposed to preach repentance and remission of sins in Christ's name. And so I do tell you today that if you heartily repent of your not hearing and therefore of your hasty, foolish speaking, that God will forgive you for Christ's sake. You have darkened God's glory. You have done that. Like Job, who darkened counsel by words without knowledge. In order for you to be forgiven, you who darkened the glory of God, do you know what needs to happen? There needs to be a repayment and a repair of the damaged honor of God and it must happen either by you yourself being put to shame for your sin or else by another put to shame for you our Lord Jesus Christ think of what he bore that they mocked him that they crowned him with thorns that they clothed him in a gorgeous robe. They said, if he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. He saved others, himself he cannot save. With him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. He cried, but as for me a worm I am, and as no man am prize. His glory was laid in the dust. He had not so much as the honor of a man with a man's ability to, to speak, but he was made to be as a worm. That is how much you have offended God by your hasty speech. Doesn't, that should make you hate sin. But here the payment has been made. Christ has borne this. He has borne the despoiling of his glory and he did not murmur. He was as a a lamb led unto the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And now a full pardon is proclaimed to you in his name. To all who heartily repent of the sins of their lips and are made to be as Isaiah who said, woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips. Oh, how how fully God justifies him that repents of his sins. You know what He says in His Word? He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God that justifieth. God as much as says, before even giving an opportunity for an accuser, I justify this man who repents and believes upon my son. I free him from condemnation. God is the only one who can answer before he has heard. And in justification, he says, I hereby shut my ears to all accusations that can ever be made against this sinner who has believed upon my son. Have you repented of your sins? The sins of your mouth? Do you renew your repentance? The remedy is, well, a free justification by blood. But the the remedy is also, brethren, a thorough consecration through the Spirit. And that is like the priest taking that oil and putting it upon the blood, upon the ear of that cleansed leper. God, through the sanctification and unction of the Holy Spirit, is able to make those who were deaf to be able to hear. That is a mark of the new creature. Notice how our Lord Jesus speaks about a person who is able to hear. He that hath ears, let him hear. That is a marvel of grace. Because what what is the character of man in a state of sin? David speaks of that man in the state of sin in the 58th psalm as being like a deaf adder that stops her ear. That's what we are by nature, a brood of vipers and a deaf brood of vipers. But the consecration of the Holy Spirit makes a man able to hear and therefore able also to speak to the glory of God and the edification of one's neighbor. This comes in Christ and through the Spirit. He says, His words are there when Isaiah is speaking. And he says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I may speak a word in season to him that is weary. He hath opened my ear morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. In Christ, through His Spirit, Christ makes his members to be able to hear and then able to speak. All oh, that we would desire this. That's oftentimes the first degree of the, the Spirit's working is to stir up holy desires. And true religion greatly consists in holy desires. The Lord Jesus says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Do you see, brethren, how de- just how desirable it is to really be able to hear, and then able to speak? How glorifying to God! How edifying to neighbors! Even how honorable to you to be one who is able to hear and then speak. We should be as our Lord Jesus when He healed that man who was both deaf and mute, that He He looked up to heaven and he sighed. And oh, that we would look up to heaven and sigh and groan and say, Oh God, take away this deadness that is upon my members from my ears and from my tongue, that I might live, hear, and speak for thee. The Spirit works holy desires, but He also enables men by faith to draw from christ to draw water from the wells of salvation and all fullness is in christ we ought to reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto god i've told my congregation that mortifying sin is a little bit like this well, suppose there's a wife and then There's a strange man who comes to the front door and he starts sweet talking her. And he says, you know, that husband of yours, he's very strict and very unpleasant. And he has X, Y, Z faults. You should get rid of him. And so horror of horrors, the wife gets rid of her husband and pushes him out the back door. And the strange man comes in and he starts to walk around like he's the Lord of the place, bossing her around and bossing all the children around. One day, the wife wakes up and says, wait. This is not my husband. I'm not married unto him. And so she tries to push him out the front door, but he complains. He raises all kinds of objections. And he says, look, I've been around here so long. You can't get rid of me now. You're dependent upon me. You're used to saying what I tell you to do. And so the wife tries with all her might to get him out the front door. And she has to call to her husband. She calls out the window. Help husband come back, and he comes back in with his strength and he helps her expel the stranger. That's what the that's what a Christian is like when he's mortifying sin. Because a Christian is not totally depraved anymore, he is not married to sin, he's married to Christ, he is alive. And what is sin? Oh, he has remaining sin. Oh, he will have it until the day he dies. Oh, it grieves him. Oh, it has great power. He mourns and cries about his remaining sin, but it's not his master. The Christian calls to his husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and expels sin. You realize that? This morning, that in Christ you are not a debtor to the flesh. Maybe you've had a pattern of doing these things I've been speaking to you about, answering before you've heard. You have no obligation to keep doing that because you are free in Christ Jesus to walk in that way that is both wise and honorable. By the grace of God in Christ, He makes... The Christian to be one who first hears and then speaks. And that's true when the Christian is hearing good news. God opens the ear to hear the good news. And then the Christian with his open mouth proclaims aloud God's righteousness. It's also true when the Christian hears bad news. The Christian hears bad news but his heart is not afraid of evil tidings. He triumphs over his enemies. He says, where is thy victory, O grave? He says, rejoice not over me, O mine enemy. He hears the bad news, but he is able to give an answer because death shall be swallowed up in victory. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Would you stand with me as we conclude with prayer? O Lord, our God and our Father in heaven, even the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank Thee for Him and for His perfection. We thank Thee for His, that He is first of all made unto us wisdom. We thank Thee, O God, for His wisdom to answer His adversaries, to confound them, to know the thoughts of men, to speak wisely, and we ask, O God, by His Spirit, give us to do the same, and we uh, pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.